we continue our regular preaching of the whole counsel of God, we are presently considering the Lord's Prayer and considering that in light of the fact that prayer is the chief part of our gratitude. We want to show that we're thankful for God, to God, then we pray and hear from Him and praise Him and supplicate at His throne of grace. We've been considering the petitions of the Lord's Prayer, and we're considering today the fifth petition, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, or do forgive our debtors as we constantly forget, uh, forgive our debtors. The Heidelberg Catechism explains this in Lord's Day 51 as meaning that God, we're praying that God would be pleased for the sake of Christ's blood not to impute to us, miserable sinners, any of our transgressions, nor the evil which always cleaves to us, as we also find this witness of thy grace in us, that it is our full purpose heartily to forgive our neighbor. Wanting ourselves to flesh out the brief explanations of the catechism with regard to Christian doctrine and life, we would turn to the Word of God and consider the fifth petition from the perspective of a text. And this we do from 1 John chapter 1. If you would turn with me to that at this point, 1 John 1. We're going to get both barrels of the Word of God aimed at us in a wonderful saving way today from John, the first epistle and the second epistle tonight. May God bless us as we hear this one word of God, John's emphasis on the light and the life and the love of God that's in Jesus Christ, certainly which is behind all of the forgiveness of God. 1 John 1, verse in chapter 1, that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. And John, remember, is speaking, I believe, here on behalf of the other apostles who saw Jesus, and who were able to touch him and to talk with him personally and face-to-face as he was in the flesh. So John's commuting, uh, communicating a message to others who may not have seen him, to us today, but he's declaring that the blessings that he knew and the apostles knew when Jesus was here are also for the believers too. So verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. This is the message which we've heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. 
But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. We'll stop at that point in 1 John and focus on verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We live in this world that does not know God and does not think that it owes God. That's what happens when there's ignorance of God. We don't think God has any right to be known by us or certainly obeyed by us or praised by us. Ignorance is a terrible sin. It's part of the lie of the devil and the ruse that there really is no God except yourself. And in fact, this is what we see in our land, that people who don't know God and think they don't owe God anything are a rule to themselves. And the only thing that matters is the rights of the individuals, the rights of free citizens not only, but the rights of men and women and people of all color and stripe and all kinds of behavior, weird as it may be and sinful as it is. The result of ignorance of God is chaos, in fact. Chaos in a society because this ignorance of God and these ignoramuses which say they owe not God anything, these are the people and this is the society, this fallen world of the unforgiven. This is the world in which we live, the unforgiven. They think not they owe God anything, but this world is in debt to God for the breath that they have and in debt because of the sin that they have accrued against the Most High Majesty of God. And though this be the problem of society, the unforgiveness of the society in which we live and this state of unforgiveness, they're not right with God, yet people are thinking to have their own solutions, not the least of which is that we should forgive things like student debt, and the government is in the place to do this. We should let people off the hook who killed and raped people and so on, and we owe not God a glance, but we have the mercies of men and the overflowing prisons to prove that we ought to be this people who just wipes sin and evil away and sweeps it under the rug. Meanwhile, society itself, in its individuals who are unforgiven, is in great turmoil. Souls unforgiven are souls at ill ease. 
Homes of unforgiveness are broken. Marriages quickly broken if they're ever consummated, ever begun. And children are learning how not to forgive, how to claim their rights, how instead of being friends and being reconciled, how to be the chief and the head of the gang to go our own way to find ourselves apart from God. Sadly, this is the church. We live in an, in an age in which the church itself to be the place of the gospel of forgiveness has warped things. God is not so holy anymore, people say, that there needs to be forgiveness, and that he won't let us off the hook and let us live the way we want in debauchery and all kinds of sexual perversion and pride. God doesn't matter when the minister preaches a kind of a gospel of tolerance and many ways to heaven in the name of love and peace and with the agenda to get big. But beloved, we ourselves need to take this to heart. In fact, we need lots of sermons on forgiveness, forgiveness with God and also are forgiving one another. So I would pause with you in our consideration of the whole counsel of God to linger a bit on forgiveness and so that we learn just what Jesus is asking, telling us to pray for as we pray that God would forgive us as we forgive our debtors. We need to know forgiveness. Don't, don't you? And don't you and I need to know how to forgive we're not good at that, are we? We're not good at that. The old king Tut, our own self, dies hard, doesn't he? Let's consider the truth of the forgiveness of God. The forgiveness that is, the forgiveness for which we pray, and the further blessing of those who know this forgiveness. That's the first sermon. Later, we'll discuss the things of our forgiving one another, but forgiveness. There's a forgiveness that is. That might strike us when Jesus prays us uh, to ask God for forgiveness. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And in Luke, forgive us our sins, our transgressions, our sins that are debts, something we owe God. The question is, if we're forgiven and we know Jesus, that's why we're praying in the first place and calling God our Father, why do we need to pray for forgiveness if we're already forgiven? Well, let's deal with that. Basic Christianity, we owe God, that's basic. Fundamental, we owe God. It's not about what people owe you or me or what we owe the government. This time of year, we're always thinking about that. But what do we owe God? Well, we owe God our very existence, don't we? There's a natural sort of debt. Everybody owes God for their existence. They don't exist in themselves, nor do you. You don't breathe. You don't sit up there straight in your seat. Uh, because you're 
of your spine even. It's simply because God holds you up. That's why you exist and breathe and your heart beats and the blood goes through your vein. And, and all of these things we have to realize do not come naturally. It's not by natural law or some evolutionary um, pinnacle that we've arrived at that we exist as humans. We exist as human creatures of God to whom we owe our existence. So we owe God what? Worship and thanks. We owe God obedience just for that. Everyone owes God and everyone knows there is a God. Yes, even in the midst of the ignorance, which is a willing denial, people know God. And we owe God also, and especially this is, of course, the, the prayer of our Savior that he taught us. We owe God because of our sin. We've sinned against God. And sin is this debt. And this debt has become wages. And the wages of sin is, is death. We owe God obedience that we haven't performed. We owe God because his justice demands that if there's no satisfaction of his justice, if we haven't paid up enough, then we should die. And that death is like a debtor's prison. We're cast into hell, and that's the debtor's prison for those for whom there's no forgiveness. The debt has not been paid. We owe God. We owe God obedience that we are unable and refuse to pay, and we owe God uh, to be punished by God. And this is a great debt in the parable of the, the, the man who owed 10,000 talents to his master and that he refused to forgive someone who owed him a pittance. That's a picture of how much we owe God. Children, that's a lot of $1,000 bills stacked together. 10,000 talents. You owe God all of that and you don't have a dime of it to pay. You see, God is rich in himself and his right to demand of us what is required is, is his worthiness. But we are poor, very poor. And even though we be rich in material things, we're so poor spiritually, we cannot begin to pay the debt. Now that's the situation in which we are finding ourselves. And this, by the way, beloved, is, is why we go to church, to find out that situation. And that first thing, the first dismal thing, you owe God, and you're sinful, and you have debt. And somehow, as we'll see, even though you know Jesus, you still have debt. There's something here for which we must pray and that the debt would be lifted off. But this is what we come to church for. And that's why, as I preached at a, a funeral graveside lately, it's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting and mirth. Because that's where, and now the church house of mourning, 
where you find how great your sins and miseries are, how great your debts are. You think of it. How terrible you feel when you owe somebody something. Don't you? I hope you do. I hope you have a conscience. If you owe something and maybe you're in arrears, you can't pay fast enough, isn't that something that makes you feel terrible? Another claim of your your payment comes in the mail and you don't have money to pay for it. Well, how much more? But God every day is claiming something and we can't pay up. And I say to you, beloved, dear fellow impoverished ones, this is why we come to church to deal with that concept of debt to God that's owed by us, not just by them. We're ignorant of God. They don't know God. They don't think they owe God. Here, reality check. The reality church, like a house of mourning. Better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of mirth and feasting. Better to have your heart here. I hope your heart's here. And to hear about your debt and my debt and all of the debts of sinners everywhere in the light of God. Because then, dealing with that and hearing that and preaching that, we understand the greatness of God's forgiveness. And that's the second thing of this this first point here. We're forgiven. And forgiveness in the Bible is that other basic concept that takes the place of the concept of sin in that it it has the center stage. It's the word that God would speak into the vanity. That is a great and wonderful thing because it, it has God. It teaches that God actually, he, he forgets sin. That's how it describes it. The Bible describes God as putting away and forgetting sin as if we never had sin. As if those who are forgiven whose sins are taken away by this act of forgiveness, never had sin, but are perfectly righteous. We don't own God anything. That's what forgiveness means. There's peace with God. All the guilt of sin, all the shame of sin, the power of sin, the bondage is no more. So the people who come to the house of mourning, they They know this is a house of joy because the joy is something that we realize when we realize that God has done this joyful thing, forgiven the debtors, released the sinners from the wages that they would otherwise have to pay of death. Amazing. This is reality. And even in the Psalms, um, speaks of this. And I want to point this out to you because in the Psalms, forgiveness is celebrated before Jesus even gets here. And we have, for example, in Psalm 130, and we mentioned that in the prayer, that the psalmist found forgiveness that God might be feared. Forgiveness before the 
the blood of Jesus was shed, there's forgiveness. There is forgiveness with you. Psalm 32 and verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. There's a blessedness, a real blessedness, uh, because of a real forgiveness of transgression and covering of sin already before Jesus. And so you have the prophet Isaiah speaking in chapter 43 and, and verse 25. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. I'm going to repeat that. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, for my own sake, and will not remember your sins. Now, our catechism reminds us that the reason, that very reason, why God forgives for his own name's sake, when it reminds us that God, for the sake of Jesus, forgives our sins. For the sake of Jesus. I want to point out that to you from the Word of God. For Jesus' sake, for his own name's sake, God forgives our sins. 1 John, in 1 and verse 9, our text, we read that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Key word here is the revelation of the God who's faithful and just. You see, when God forgives us, it's not because we've merited anything or even because and uh, as if it depended on our confession of sin, that's why we're forgiven, but it's because he's faithful and just to his name, to his identity, to his son. So faithfulness and justice is a part of God. It's the way he is. And it's the way he deals with things. And, and forever, beloved, we need to know that God made this whole world to show off who he is and that he's faithful and just and merciful and that he has a word to say to us. One word, Jesus Christ, revelation of this great God who forgives. So for his own namesake, God forgives us. For his faithfulness and justice and mercy in Jesus Christ, for the sake of Jesus Christ himself, the catechism reminds us, that's why he forgives us. It's not for your sake, first of all, but for God's sake. God would honor his son. God would honor himself. It's the idea of passages that speak of our being forgiven or having the right to forgiveness and blessed before we were, there is a, a deep theological truth underneath what I'm saying right here. I think you can follow. Here's the fact, the decree of God. Before the working out of the decree is the decree of God. Before the foundation of the world and at the foundation of the world, therefore, there's the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world, Revelation 13, 8. 
before the Lamb came into time. Jesus. He was. Before he accomplished in his blood forgiveness, Jesus was in the mind of God. You see, that's how God is. That's how God is God. He is working out in this decree and in history everything that he had determined that shall be because God is God. And he has a purpose in this world, and it's all about showing mercy in God. So 2 Timothy 1, 9 and 10. We are told there of the grace of God that's given in Christ Jesus when? Before time began. Now I bring this up because there's a lot of people who preach Jesus, they say, but who emphasize so the need for repentance and confession and and so on, as if there is no forgiveness whatsoever and no right to forgiveness and no claim to forgiveness before we do something. Got to be careful here. The Bible teaches that everything is of God and, and that God has decreed that a certain number of people would be saved and that Jesus would die for them. Well, let's take that seriously, shouldn't we? As seriously as we do faith and the need for confession and repentance, we should take also the word that God is and he has a plan and that he's working this out perfectly. And his plan was to give us grace. His plan was all about Jesus. And so, do you know, in a way, when we were forgiven... In eternity, in the decree, that was conceived of God. But then on the cross, Ephesians 1, verse 7, there is forgiveness through his blood. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Forgiveness through his blood, the redemption. Way back then, we had that forgiveness. Objectively, we say, according to the decree in which God would send his son, and we're chosen in that son, and there's this blood that is decreed and promised, and so it's all getting there. Let's say it that way. My wife and I have had discussions recently, so my other children. How real is the decree of God versus this moment when you believe in every single moment? Well, it's not either or, is it? It's the reality of a decree and the working out of the decree of God's eternal purpose. Then the reality of the cross before you were born. Forgiveness there. And then when you believe, apply to you, as we'll consider in a bit here. But there's this forgiveness for Christ's sake. Christ prays for forgiveness. Jesus prayed on the cross, didn't he? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. What happened as a result of that prayer? 
Was it just that the Jews were allowed a, a little hiatus, a little gap before the wrath of God would be shown upon them and it would wait till 70 AD? No, beloved. Forgiveness is never just a putting off of judgment. That is, putting off until a certain day, giving you a little reprieve. Forgiveness is what the Bible says forgiveness is. It is the casting away of sin. It is the release of the sinner from sin. And so when Jesus prays, Father, forgive them, what do you think happens? God answers. And that answer is seen in the 3,000 converted of Israel who ignorantly crucified the Lord of glory. God answered the prayer of the mediator, and God answers the prayers of the mediator that are presently made in heaven because he lives, and he ever lives to make intercession for us. It's for Jesus' sake that there is forgiveness And then he gives us life, and he gives us faith, and he gives us also to pray for forgiveness. But before we consider that, not only that there is a forgiveness, but that we ought to pray for it, let's consider what a great blessing forgiveness is, shall we? And I dare say that the rest of your life will be affected by how much you know forgiveness, and how you deal with others will be affected how much you know forgiveness. And so the fellow that swore me up and down yesterday, and this happened, uh, when I didn't drive according as he wanted me to, and to whom I said, have a great day, he knew something of the forgiveness of God, because I did that point I understood this guy was a raging one who doesn't know the forgiveness of God. And I prayed for him afterwards. That little thing, road rage, that he knows something of the God whose wrath is turned away because he turns sin away. Do you know that? Beloved, do we know forgiveness here at Sovereign Grace Church? You know what sovereign grace is all about? Anybody in your life you just can't forgive? Like yourself? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's hard. To forgive a father, to forgive a mother, a husband, a wife, a brother, a sister, to forgive. Psalm 103 is a man full of joy, and he celebrates forgiveness. Let me read some of this. First of all, he's summoning his soul to bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. He's calling his soul to be involved. Intimately involved. Everything within me, bless God's holy name, Jesus. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. That's what he's going to talk about in Psalm 103. And the first benefit, who forgives all your iniquities. That's it. 
and the other ones follow. He heals our diseases and redeems our life from destruction, crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies, and, and all because of God being God. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. As the heavens are high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward those who fear Him as far as the east is from the west, makes no difference. So far has He removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear Him. He knows our frame. He remembers we are dust. Back to the text. The forgiveness of God rooted in the justice and faithfulness of God who will be faithful to Himself and just and righteous to deal with sin on the cross of Calvary so that the wrath of God is burned out there and we don't have to endure it. Do you understand how great that, that blessing is of forgiveness? That's the first thing. Always the case. If you have trouble forgiving others, you have trouble forgiving yourself, it's because you don't know how great the forgiveness of God is to you or I do to me. But then we pray. So there is this thing, this wonderful truth, this counseled truth, this crossed truth that now becomes ours personally. And that's what is talking about. When we pray the Our Father and hallowed be your name and your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and that God would be blessing us in our receiving of our bread, we're also praying for forgiveness and that we might forgive. Really, this petition to get into this somewhat not too much. This fifth petition is for sanctification. We dealt with the earthly bread. And now we're praying for holiness, repentance, because that's what we need when we pray forgiveness. It's not just a glib thing, ah, just forgive us. And we check that off. It's repentance, repentance. And dealing with the reality of, of sin. John, in this whole context, is saying, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now, note this. John is speaking of the duality of the Christian existence. There's truth in us, there's Jesus in us, and there's sin in us. And if you deny one or the other, you're denying the work of God. There's truth in us, and there's sin in us, deceit in us everyone capable of being a devil, even though the truth is in us. Jesus is in us. We have this life from the vine, and this wonderful forgiveness, this power of the counsel and of the cross, and now of the convicting Holy Spirit within. And we know this. If we confess our sins... Knowing truth and knowing sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and so on. And further, in verse 10, says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So that's at the backdrop of this need for prayer. 
We're forgiven, but we need to pray to be forgiven because daily we sin and daily we need sanctified. In fact, that may be why Jesus in the Lord's Prayer says, now we are to pray, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. He links the prayer for daily bread to prayer for forgiveness, meaning, don't you think? that we should pray daily for forgiveness. As often as you pray for bread, and you need bread every day, right? And you pray for it, you pray for that food of the soul, the presence of God forgiving you, sanctifying you. That's the first thing. It's vital. It's as vital for a, a strong body and food for is daily repentance. Otherwise, you become emaciated, thin, weak. We need daily forgiveness through daily repentance. Vital. And the need of this is simply because it's the way of God to apply all the forgiveness that there is in Jesus to us. Somehow, the forgiveness that was in eternity the forgiveness that Adam had and he was covered with clothes of skins picturing the blood of Christ, somehow that cross forgiveness, that blood forgiveness has to get into your dirty little soul and in my dirty little guilty, shameful soul. And it's the work of grace and it's the work of the Spirit within You see, God doesn't want just theoretical Christians who know the Bible somewhat. He wants real Christians who know the cross within, who have the Word of God and the ink of the Spirit, as it were, written in our hearts so that we're a book to be read before we open the Bible to the neighbor. That neighbor knows that man, he walks funny. That man, he deals with life differently. That man, they have to ask you this, what makes you so different? I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. That's the difference. And I pray for forgiveness every single day. And I go to the house of mourning that I might know my joy in Jesus. So forgiveness is necessary. John says that here. In the very first, uh, in the verse 7, it's said that the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sins. And then he says, if you have no sin, though, you're, you're a liar. So the cleansing blood of Jesus, it's not that it's not enough, but that it needs to be applied every day. How often do you take a bath? Hopefully at least once a month. Every day, bathed in the blood of Jesus. That's what we need. And God is so generous, and it exalts his mercy. And just this one other thing, before I want to point you to some points to pray this prayer better. When we pray, God forgive our debts, we're praying... Help us to know 
the righteousness of Jesus imputed to us. I, I don't want to be guilty anymore. I'm tired of sulking around and slinking around and, and the creditor is on my back. I want to leave the country. I want to leave the world. I'm so guilty. Well, you pray that for sure. Pray and God will answer. But then... You pray also to be delivered from the act of sin. Not just the guilt of sin, but the act of sin. It's a hypocrite who says, just let me not have to pay anymore, but goes on accruing debt against the will of the creditor, against the will of God. That would be hypocrisy. And I fear that some of us here are prone to do that, maybe all of us. We're fine with the salvation thing, and we get off the hook and we're no longer a guilty thing, but how about the sanctification thing or aspect of salvation? Do we pray when we pray, Lord, forgive us, also lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil, deliver us from my besetting sin? I hope so. We need to. But now, we don't always... We aren't always so involved in this prayer, I fear. Here's some ways we could be involved. I follow a commentator on this. Don't feel convicted of your sin? Maybe some of you here. You're convicted of everybody else's sin. What about your sin? Well, there's another prayer that's involved in this Forgive us our debts. It's this. Give me light to see myself clearly. Search my heart, O God. See if there be any wicked way in me, the psalmist says, Psalm 139. That's a, that's a bold prayer. Maybe some of you here, maybe myself, we're not so convicted of sin as we ought to be. Pray for light to be convicted, to know yourself, to know yourself and thus to know your God. Then think of God. Don't be lost in yourself. That's morbid. Don't just pray to know yourself. Maybe the philosopher will say that. Know thyself. Know God. Think of God. Think of his greatness. Think of his eternity. And I'm saying this practically. Write it down. Take it to heart for praying truly and for having power once again in your piety, in your life. It's all involved in praying intelligently and with conviction, forgive me as I forgive others. And then maybe follow the Lord's prayer a little better. We can not be so convicted of sin and then just pray about helping me to be convicted of sin and so on. But maybe follow the structure. Jesus says, here's when you pray, pray to the Father. So pray that way. Pray our Father. Think about that. Who art in heaven, think about that. Hallowed be your name, think about that. And then finally you get to the prayer. Forgive my debts as I forgive others. Think of all of your sins. Take time to examine yourself. That's another 
key here, not just before the Lord's Supper. Examine yourself. Sins, what sins have I done? What have I not done that was sinful? You realize how many times we omit to do what we ought to do? We say, oh, we're doing all right here. Obeying mom and dad, we're doing the chores, but our attitude is terrible. We're omitting to do things cheerfully that we should have done. Or we who have some freedom and we can call the shots somewhat, well, I'm going to just spend time over here, and this is good. I'm going to build this or that, or I'm going to do this. But we should be over here because that's only good. This is better. And even better than better is excellent. As the commentator says, I'm going to give my excellence for the highest, my utmost for the highest. Best is what God deserves. And this takes prayer. And so we ought to think also of all the sins that are already forgiven. All of the times you sinned and you knew it and you know that is, was sinful, but God, He forgave you. Think about that and therefore have confidence that He's going to forgive also these sins for which you're praying. And then finally, beloved, if you don't feel like you're such a sinner, believe that you are and be informed from the Word of God that you are. Be mindful of your sin if you're not even feeling yet that you're sinful. The Bible says so. Go with that. You don't really know how great a sinner you are? Well, confess it anyway, because the Bible says the truth of the the matter is all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every single one of us, liars all, vipers all, except for the grace of God. And there we continue to be. And in that sty, we continue to wallow. And with that cunning craftiness, we slither around, except God forgive us and sanctify us as his own. And thanks be to God, he does. My final point. And this is what I pray, and I'm going to be praying, and I hope you do in the next weeks as we consider forgiveness, will be the blessing of God in our church. One, souls will be praying this like never before. This is what we need here, beloved. Every church all the time, we too. Pray for personal forgiveness and peace. Pray for that. And pray that you might know that you're forgiven as you forgive others. Be that kind of a person, focused on your own problems, your own sin, that you might be developing this relationship with God. And then for our society, homes of forgiveness. Homes where forgiveness rules, not just the law of God, but the love of God. Homes where we understand one another's weaknesses and forbear and are kind and are loving and just and faithful, but there where the gospel is known. And then churches where we forgive a sovereign grace and you forgive that chief of sinners, uh, that sinners, your minister, and you forgive each other and you live that way in the freedom that is in Jesus Christ. And then finally, that will be for a witness to the world, the guy at the light who stops and curses you out, the one who fleeces you of your bank account, whatever, the world that persecutes. 
we will witness there is forgiveness with God. Seek that, find that. You'll find that in Jesus. Amen. We pray, Lord, that you would bless us now. We pray to know your forgiveness that is and that shall be as we pray for this and in answer to prayer. Cleanse us, Lord, of guilt and shame, dirtiness, the impious, wrecking ball of sin that sin is. And so, Father, fill us, establish us and our relationships as we forgive one another and commune with one another about the great gospel of the lifting off of sin, for Jesus' sake, amen.